and good to see the rest of you today. You too. <laughs> I look a little rough, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. Um, we've been continued on from Luke, um, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, and then he, through the inspiration, obviously, not only of Luke, but of uh, Acts as well, continued on. It's our bridge book, if you will. In Acts chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we, every man, in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia in Egypt in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? May God add a special blessing in reading this word. And let us just pause for prayer this morning. Father God, we come to you today thankful for what a beautiful, sun-filled day. We thank you for your gift of Jesus Christ, literally, from everlasting, as it says in Revelation 14.6, the everlasting gospel was unfolded in Jesus. He gave his life for our sins. He was buried and then rose again. Fantastic. We're here today, Father, because of that. Uh, Father, we're also here because we want to worship and to praise your name. We're here, Father, because you've brought us here. Thank you for those that have come out and that are desirous of knowing more of you. As we lift our voices together in praise and prayer. Now, Father, we turn to the word. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our guide, our teacher guiding us in all truth as Jesus actually prayed for his disciples and even us here today, literally a forward-reaching prayer that the Holy Spirit, which was given on that day at Pentecost, 2,000-plus years ago, literally began a new era. The church, a new dispensation. The fact that we're here together, that for our benefit, the Gentiles, the Jews would have set Jesus aside. God works it all together in a mystery. How grateful we are that we are participants, recipients of grace. Now, Father, lead us, guide us, direct us, encourage us, lift us up to see you more clearly by the power of the Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our previous uh, time that we've been together, we were looking at 
literally the bridge that has taken place. Uh, Luke is taking us from the Gospels. That is, Jesus Christ was, he finished, quote unquote, the work that he had to do, the redemptive part. He needed to finish that because if it wasn't finished, again, as I've said multiple times, I, I would tell you guys to go home. There's, there's nothing here for you in this place. This is just another scam. This is another religiosity session, seminar, whatever. But I can say with a great deal of confidence, and his disciples, to me, are the ultimate, the epitome of that, because they gave their lives in martyrdom, because they believed, because it was the truth, that Jesus Christ did, in fact, rise from the dead. That's impressive. And that's the confidence that we stand on here today. So going from that to literally passing the baton, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you got a job, and Jesus gave you the job. And he's passing that baton, if you will, to you to share the gospel that you've received to the rest of the world. That truly is good news. That's the gospel as he described it. He said to share it into all of the world. And last time we found ourselves in Jerusalem, Jesus had ascended. So our timeline is interesting. Uh, We have his crucifixion. That was the day of Passover, which began a major feast. That was a major Jewish feast. And then three days later, parts of days, Sunday morning, he rises from the dead. He was here for 40 days, here being on earth. He would just appear, just like pop in. Um, That would be like, he would just show up here. I I don't know what, I would sit down if he just popped through the door. (laughs) Yes, sir, (laughs) right? Well, how would you like to be taught by him? The disciples, they picked up more in those 40 days in the understanding of the Old, the Old Testament scriptures. They finally saw the things that Jesus had been telling them. Remember, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, literally, Peter had described who he was. He saw that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He got that perfect. That was like, nailed it. And within a, literally a few verses, we find that he got it all wrong. Jesus said, hey, from here, I want, I want you to know that I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be literally crucified, dead, and will rise from the dead. And Peter said, oh, no, 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 what are you saying? And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Because Peter didn't see the gospel in its fullest form. Now, in those 40 days after, guess what was starting to happen? The Old Testament scriptures which spoke of it, which were moving us through the timeline, which was really unfolding it. They were the recipients of all of that. Jesus was their teacher. Oh, my goodness. Right? That was 40 days of bliss. And he would just disappear. <laughs> oh, there he goes again. And the last we saw was he ascended into heaven, the ascension, which was 40 days after his rising from the dead. He then ascends into heaven. And he tells him to wait. We've talked about that on numerous occasions. How many are really, really good at waiting? <laughs> That's a toughie, isn't it? Wait, waiting is really difficult. You may be waiting for, in, their, uh, in many people waiting for money, people waiting for surgeries, people waiting to be healed, people waiting for, you can name it, right? These folks, these 120, as described for us in last week's lesson, was there's 120 of them in the upper room, one of which is 
Mary, Jesus' mother. I don't know if you've thought of that very much, but Mary is about to receive the Holy Spirit. See, she needs to be saved just as much as anyone else. These 120 are believers. These are the first believers of the church. And the Holy Spirit is going to be the down payment. He's going to be the foreverness within them. Think of that. And his brethren, it said. Mary, his mother, and his brethren gathered in this upper room waiting well, if we do the math, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, which would be 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was literally a day after the Passover, and it was always, well, if you go to Leviticus chapter 23, you'll find that it's the day after the Sabbath. So this would have been on a Sunday, uh, the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, it was, in fact, we should maybe just back up a little bit because all of these things, they're perfectly timed. Now, he didn't tell them exactly. You just, Jesus did not say, you need to wait until the Feast of Pentecost. That's not there. He just said, wait. How many times have you felt or been told through various means to wait with no time frame? Some of you have been praying for unsaved family members for most of your life. You're waiting on Jesus, aren't you? It's pretty cool. (laughs) It's in the greatest hands of all time waiting. So these 120 people are waiting. Now, the other thing that's interesting is they're not praying to receive the Holy Spirit. It's not up to them. They're not circle certain specifications or circumstances or criteria they have to meet to get it. Jesus said, let's read it, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 5. This is what's being fulfilled. Uh, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. That's the promise. That's the promise. There's another promise. There's two that Jesus left, unfulfilled, literally, that were, he said were in the future. One of them was the coming of the church. That's back to Matthew chapter 16. He said that the church will come. Regardless of, as it says in the King James, the gates of hell, which really should be the gates of Hades. Hell, no one's in, Hades, in hell. Hades is a place of the place of the dead where Jesus Christ actually entered. Death would not even keep... His death would not keep the church from coming. Praise God. In fact, his death entering into Hades, that is the place of death, literally made the church available because his priceless gift to us came because of the very thing that Satan would have loved to have snatched away, us being here in grace. So the church was promised. It was future. It was a future promise. And then secondarily was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let, let's, look at, let's look at that passage for a moment. We'll find it in, uh, in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Verses 16. And we'll start in verse 15. This is so key. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. That verse is so cool, isn't it? You say you love me, keep my commandments. It's not hard, is it? Obedience comes from, what was that? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And obedience, that's what he's asking for. If you love me, obey me. Obedience comes from self-control. Self-control comes from mind control. Mind control comes from knowledge. Knowledge from the scriptures. Boom, 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 boom. Right? Control. Domination. We're going to talk about that in a moment as far as the Holy Spirit as well. But let's keep going. Let's stay on our branch that we're working on. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. 
that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So those are two big time future events that Jesus has promised that are unfulfilled presently. They're to wait. To wait. So let's talk about the timing of this. He did not tell them to wait until the Feast of Pentecost. That's something that's going to happen. Days go by. It was just like another day. It was kind of like uh, Paul shared the, the event that I'm wearing a few of the marks of. It was a Tuesday morning, just like any other Tuesday morning. There were struggles, troubles, stuff going on. I was out of my driveway, coming out, and I was on my phone, and uh, I, I just stopped, which I usually don't, but I, I did. Stopped. And then I, oh, I look up, and there's, there's Alice. She was going to come down the driveway. There's no room for two of us. So quickly I drove, and she got, are you okay? Is everything okay? I said, yep, just on my phone. And she said this, hey, we prayed you up, and we prayed that you would be exactly where God wants you today. That's my prayer for myself throughout the day. I'm hoping it's yours as well. I want God, I want you to have me where I'm needed for you to do the best work of me becoming more like Jesus Christ. Right? A little over an hour later, I was in a really severe accident. Just a matter of seconds either way, and I would have been able to see the shadow. I would have seen the cattle on this side of it, or they would have been on the other side of it. That was the shadow that was over the interstate. I couldn't see those cattle until, boom, I was right there. Etched in my mind are two riders that I did not recognize. One of them I now know who he is, and it will be an opportunity for me to visit with him. Where would have you been, BJ, if I would have done what seemed obvious, couldn't have stopped? You would not be with us today. Where would you be today? Pray for that opportunity. They turned around, and all I could say inside my mind was, too fast, too fast, too fast. As I jumped on those brakes, a friend from mine in Minnesota had heard about it, uh, Red, Red Angus priest said, sounds like it was Jesus take the wheel. Mm-hmm. But it was even more than that. I went back to the scene, just driving by. Friends, there's nowhere to go. When you come around that corner at 40 miles an hour, which is the speed limit, it's actually 45, but the corner is a 40. There's nowhere to go. If you have cows underneath the interstate that you don't see, there's nowhere to go. It's a miracle. I launched the brakes. Couldn't have a better set of trailers because these trailers will jackknife immediately upon the tractor being had those brakes locked. Passenger side of the truck meets the passenger side of the trailer, and we go backwards through the guardrail into the section if you were on the Bozeman off-ramp coming off the interstate westbound. Right at the cattle guard, that's where I ended up. It's impossible. Physics doesn't let you get there. God got me there. God got me there. And I didn't sign up for it. It's just like another day, right? Where, is I where God wanted me to be? I have to trust him with that. I'm going to share a story just briefly, but aftermath of this. And there was, there's, three, there's three individuals that uh, Paul, you may have been mentioned of. The owner of the cattle, which today he really should have two funerals at least, maybe mine as well, that he would be responsible for. I don't know how you wear that. I don't know how you, I don't know how you deal with that. And then the two that should be killed today. 
There shouldn't, there's no way possible, friends, there's no way physically that they should not be with us. But they are for a reason. Anyway, on Friday, this was on a Tuesday. Friday morning, there was a guy that needed a room that was going to be visiting our establishment for a purpose. And I don't know why I was driving in. I just drive trucks, right? I'm going to get a little hay. And I said, I'm going to pull in here. I'm going to get a room. I'm going to sign up for a room. And I did. I pull in. And um, the lady that was there, I'm going to call her Anne today. It is not her name, but I want to protect her innocence. Okay? So Anne, which I'd met several times, you know, you just don't know each other, but you know each other, right? You know what I'm talking about. I said, I'd like to uh, reserve a room for tomorrow evening for a gentleman's coming in. Just put it on my name. She said, okay, and your name is. So I write, you know, Larry Melhoff. Spell it out. She said, oh. Oh. So how do you want to pay for it? I said, well, I've got a credit card. So I give her, you know, post my credit card in. And she said, were you in an accident? I said, as a matter of fact, yeah. I said, it was um, God spared my life. And even more important, the lives of others. And she said, oh. She just started weeping. She said, my husband died of a heart attack three years ago. And I attempted to do CPR. And I failed. And I felt like I had failed my husband. I've tried to kill myself two times. The first time, I'm not going to tell you. But the second time, I was in my vehicle. And I was just going to drive over an embankment and end it. She said, I don't know why, but that far, that was what she said, that far from the edge of that cliff, my car stopped. I said, well, I can tell you why. Jesus is reaching out to you. Jesus wants to know you personally. And the walls went up. <laughs> she said, oh, I don't go to church. I'm, I'm spiritual, I don't go to church. I said, don't need to. It's about Jesus. But there was, it was sort of close for a moment. Now, keep in mind, we're in a business establishment. I would, I, would, I would think that we were there in that place together. She's, this, this, she's let me in to a place of her life that no one has been. She's like, I'm so lonely. And I'm just, I said, Jesus loves you. I'm going to pray for you. And again, just, she didn't pull away, but it was like, just, well, I'd really like that. That would be great. But, there were, you know, the walls are up. But here's the point. For 10 minutes, approximately, not one person entered that establishment. But when it was done, I walked out the door and two walked in. Oh, don't let me forget. The room that I rented, I didn't need because he had made other arrangements. Was I in the right place that God wanted me to be? Yeah. You know how I got to that place? was this, the after effects of an accident which I was in the right place at the right time. I don't understand all of that, but that's a God thing. So I want you to pray. Now, I'm, go- I'm going to use her, what I'm going to say is just a fictitious name. I want you to pray for Anne because God knows who Anne is. God knows that Anne's heart is open And we want to pray that the Holy Spirit allows her to see Jesus for everything that he is. See, that's God 
in control, isn't it? He's working. He's working. I still have a headache, but he's working. And it's just like, let's you know, I, I, I try to make sure our branches come back to the tree. Let's bring that back. It's no different than that morning on a Sunday that that same 120 people are gathered in an upper room. Is it the same room that they were in? At the, I don't know, but probably something similar. It would have been in a place that they felt safe and secure. They were praying, waiting for what Jesus said, the Spirit would come. It happens to be this Sunday morning. It happens to be this day that it would happen. And boom, out of the blue, something really happens. This would be the Feast of Pentecost. But let's back up just a little bit because the feasts of the Old Testament actually allow us to see inside and how it's unfolded, the prophetic word unfolded within Jesus Christ. The first feast that uh, you'll find, and you can study these in Leviticus chapter 23 if you'd like. Leviticus chapter 23 unfolds for you the different Jewish feasts. The first one is the Passover. The Passover is really the epitome. That's the one that literally, as the ten plagues were in Egypt, the number ten was the death of the firstborn. And the only way you could escape that was to take blood from an innocent, unblemished lamb, and you would put it on the doorpost. The angel of death would go past that house because it would recognize the sense of innocent blood. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Uh, this, literally, Jesus Christ is in this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. He declares himself to be our Passover. Good news. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So literally, you see the fulfillment of the Passover feast in Jesus Christ, in his death. Uh, followed behind that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was literally the day after. And this would have been uh, that and the Feast of First Fruits. They were, they were closely together. And it would have been the first fruits of the early harvest. Now, those of you that are farmers, is farmers in the room? Not so many. <laughs> um, but you probably even know this, that the difference from an early crop harvest, in other words, this would be the first fruits of the early crops. Okay, And that would be farmers... Barley, thank you for answering. Barley would be a crop that if you plant it the same day as wheat, would be much further in the sense of maturity. So it was literally, that was the first offering of the first fruits. They would wave a sheaf of the barley crop. Okay? <coughs> Guess what that happened to fall on? It would be, in, in fact, if you go to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 11, it's the day after the Sabbath of the Passover. What day is that? Sunday. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20 in your Bibles. You're already in 1 Corinthians. <coughs> Let's go to chapter 15, verse 20. <coughs> it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Guess what was going on on that Sunday morning? The feast of the first fruits. Is that not cool? <coughs> I've got to get a glass of water. I got something. Okay, <clears throat> I got something in my throat. Okay, and then guess what? Fifty days after is the feast of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost—that word means anybody? 
50, thank you. Yeah. Pentecost means 50. Yeah, I was just about to get there. Pentecost means 50th. Now, 50th after the Passover, the unleavened bread, 50 days after. Okay. Now, this was one to, thank you, uh, was to commemorate the fact of not only the first fruits of which were enjoyed from the barley harvest, but now there's a part of this, there's, it's twofold, two pronged. There's the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Now, in both cases, for the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread, guess what they didn't use in their bread? Yeah, no, exactly, no leaven. Set you guys up pretty nicely with that one, right? And why would you do that during the Passover and the feast of, I will just say the first fruits, was right, what? Jesus Christ was the Passover. He's, and by the way, yeast or leaven is associated, particularly in the Old Testament, with Sin. So here we have the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, sinless, leavenless, without leaven. Okay. Not only that, but also the barley, there was no loaf. But guess what happens on the Feast of Pentecost? We literally are presenting two loaves of bread that have leaven in them. Wow, that's interesting. Now, this is the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Okay, that's the Feast of Pentecost, or Pentecost, which again just means 50th. But let's think about what's happening now on the day of Pentecost. It's, 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 all, it's not mystery to us now, but to them it was a mystery. When are we going to get the Holy Spirit? When are we going to get the Holy Spirit? I mean, it had to be on their minds. Jesus said, wait, and it's about 10 days after he's left. How do we know that? I've already told you that 40 days after his, his resurrection to his ascension is 40 days. Now, I've also just told you that the Feast of Pentecost, Pentecost meaning 50th, dead giveaway, is it's 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is one day after, literally, the Passover. So it's all tied together. So 50 days after. So you do the math quickly. How long they've been waiting in the upper room is about 10 days. 10 days. And how did they know it wasn't 12 or 20 or 40 or how long are they going to wait? Or years? In fact, I'm sure somebody in the 120s said, (coughs) <coughs> fellas, <coughs> I don't know about you, but <coughs> I, need, I need to be, let's get through this waiting thing, right? I might have been one of those. I'm not a very good waiter. I'm not good about it at all. The other thing I'll, <coughs> I'll make mention of, though, after this, that event on Tuesday, um, and I'm just, you know, you're just sitting there, after the thing stops, to think stop turning and you're just sort of there. <clears throat> Boy, I don't know what I got in my throat, but <clears throat> I'm, just, I'm just sitting there. I, I, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting there because I don't know what to do next, honestly. Right? And this guy drives up that had seen it all, which was very refreshing because he told the story to the highway patrolman just as it was because when the highway patrolman came, guess what wasn't there? The cows. <laughs> so it looks like, what were you doing? <laughs> Fortunately, this guy was, oh, I saw it all. There was, it was cows. There was, he might've been going too fast. Now think of this for a moment. I told the HP after this, I said, wait a minute. If I'm doing 40 when I, which I can, and there's a shadow on the over, on on the interstate and there's cows in there. How fast did you want me to drive? Six. (laughs) He said, and he had the ticket. He was going to give me a ticket. And he had it. And he said, you know, sir, you're absolutely right. I can't give you this ticket. At any rate, I'm sitting there, and I have to say through this whole thing, 
there's a sense of peace. I'm not saying I'm excited about it in the sense of, whoo, I hope that happens again. No, it wasn't like that. But there was something about, it was a calm, there was a peace about that. That's pretty much what these guys were doing in this waiting period too. You can just see it. They're, they're restfully, peacefully waiting for what Jesus said would come. They haven't moved. They're right there. Isn't that great? I'm so glad they stayed there because Peter would be the prone one. Remember what he did when Jesus told him to Galilee to go to Galilee because he was going to show himself to them, right? What did he do? He went and did the obvious thing. He went fishing. In fact, was ready to change careers. This time, they're, they're in it. They're in it to win it. Feast of Pentecost. Now, I also said we had the first fruits of wheat. But something happened here that the church began. You know what? That church, that 120 believers, they received some first fruits as well. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 13 and 14. In whom, that's Christ, in whom you also trusted, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, or the down payment, the first fruits, if you will, of an our inheritance. Now think of this now. Do you see how these feasts are lining up beautifully? You literally received your first down payment, your first earnest, your first initial receiving of salvation, and that was what? The Holy Spirit. Now, that's a fantastic down payment. That's all I got to say. You talk about a layaway plan? The Holy Spirit is the down payment? Fabulous. And by the way, He can't leave you. It's impossible. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior immediately, positionally, you have been baptized. That is to be immersed into, placed into the body of Christ forever. Amen. I said that loud so that you didn't miss it. But isn't that great? He can't even leave you. Now, that's brand new. That's brand new information. If you were Saul in the Old Testament, I don't want you to keep in Saul's shoes very long because we'll get you out of there. But Saul, when he became king, when he's anointed king, when Samuel anointed him king because they, the nation of Israel, wanted a king like everybody else. They want him to look good, be powerful, be tall, be mean, be dark and handsome. And it was Saul. He was that guy. Where did it fall apart? He stopped trusting God. And it says, the Spirit left him. I can say with full assurance, because of what's stated in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit after this event, the Feast of Pentecost. And did you see, we're jumping ahead a moment, but just hit me right now. How many of them received the Holy Spirit? Every single one. How do we know that? There was evidence because there was what looked like. It wasn't a tongue. It was like a tongue of fire. How many were there? Exactly the number of believers. Every single one of them. Who was that for? was for them there. That was for us today. The Holy Spirit completely, 100%, is involved and baptizes 
every single believer into the body of Christ and doesn't ever leave. <laughs> we should be saying hallelujahs for the rest of this hour. Now, we've got a big fat war that we're, that we're fighting. Satan hates me big time. He hates me. I'll particularly say in the last five years, he hates my guts. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I've told my guys that I'm meeting with on Friday or Saturday night, depending on the night, that 2 John, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 is the verse they need, and that's that verse. Repeat that. Keep it on. That's why prayer amongst the believers is so incredibly important. So incredibly important. Now, Satan cannot, here's, here's the other part. Guess what? If the Holy Spirit is in you as a believer, guess who can't come in to a believer ever? Satan. Is that not fabulous news? He can only push the world on you to conform you from the external. He cannot get inside of you. That's a touchdown. <laughs> I don't know what the, what the signal is for two touchdowns. That's two touchdowns. He cannot get inside a Christian. Ever. You'll find nothing in the New Testament, you'll find nothing anywhere that a believer is ever inhabited by Satan or a demon. It's impossible because you have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Your body is the temple of what? The Holy Spirit. And I can't see the Holy Spirit's, oh, come on in. Let's, let's go. We can do this together. Not a chance. Not a chance. The question is never about the Holy Spirit inhabiting the Christian. Never is that in question. The question is, how much of the Christian does the Holy Spirit have? That's the question. Now, both of these events, these promises that we're talking about, that is the church is going to begin sometime in the future. Jesus said it in chapter 16 of Matthew. And he also said through numerous occasions, in fact, the most recent was 10 days previous, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Both of those promises were combined into one event at the Feast of Pentecost. On that day... As it says, as a rushing wind. It wasn't a wind. I love that, that it says wind, though, because it's going to fit well into the... What is my glass? Here they are. Let's go back to Acts. You're probably there. I'm still in Ephesians, but go back to Acts, and let's take a look. Verse 1 and 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So it seems like it's the same people in the same room. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven came from heaven as it's not a rushing mighty wind it's not a hurricane but it would be as that in fact that word that is used for wind and that rushing mighty wind be like a hurricane I mean, it's a blast it's not just the normal word for pneuma it's a blast in fact it brought other people around we'll see that next week it brought people to this place because it was an incredible noise but it wasn't a hurricane it wasn't a wind it was as that wind and inside this room all of a sudden some things have really taken place Number one is all the people in the room received the Holy Spirit. Mary, his brothers, all the apostles, all of the rest of those that had chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I'm thinking that 10 days would have been a good chance. I, I, might, I might be wrong, but what would 10 days of waiting do if there was any infiltrators in that group? <laughs> They'd be gone. The true disciples would be there. Those that were praying and waiting in the upper room, they would be the real deal. And, of course, God knows that. 
I'm not, and I'm not suggesting there was anyone that walked away, but you, you see what I'm saying? That waiting has a way of removing the, those that aren't part of it. Every single one of those received the Holy Spirit. Let's go on. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as, again, not fire, but as fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow, there's a lot of stuff going on here. So not only were every single one of those, and this is the, the picture of the sense of that tongue of fire that would be on every, in other words, every, I'm, gonna, I'm assuming it's 120. There's no reason for us to believe that it's any different than those that are listed. Let's go back just for your sake. Verse 15, chapter 1. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. I have no reason to think it's any different. It certainly would be right about there. And every single one of them would have had this sense of this, like a tongue of fire, which would said, you know what? You are in the body of Christ. That's what we see. For them, that was the receiving of that Holy Ghost. Then, right then, they did not pray to receive it. Nowhere are you told to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the scripture. Nowhere. I'll say it one more time. Nowhere. That is an act of God positionally placing you in the body of Christ. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. One time. Never is it any more than one. That is placing you in the body of Christ. In fact, let's take a look. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. <clears throat> we'll read verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one Spirit. Those two verses are so clear that we have one body in Christ, and it's done by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and every single person that is Christ's is baptized by the Spirit to make one body. That's straight away. Good stuff, by the way, too. And none, you don't have to seek it. You don't have to run after it. You don't have to pray for it. It just happens. That's exactly what just literally happened at the Feast of Pentecost. Boom, it happened. Now, the other part of this is, though, is it also says back in Acts that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, filling and baptizing with the Holy Spirit are two very distinct things. How many times you baptize with the Holy Spirit? Once. It places you positionally into the body of Christ. How many times are you justified? I'm, I'm, I'm helping you cheat. One. One. Yeah. And justification is to be declared not guilty. How many times do you need to be declared not guilty if Jesus Christ is your Savior? Once. Because His blood is sufficient for eternal salvation. You don't have to do this numerous times. You don't got to get re-saved. You only need to be saved once. Saving is justification. Justification is positionally placing you in the body of Christ. On paper, if you will, it's the legal term. The Holy Spirit places you into the body of Christ spiritually. Happens one time. Both positional aspects. One and done. And Satan can't do anything about it. Thank you, Jesus. But being filled with the Holy Ghost... That's another matter. 
Let's go now. We read in, in chapter, chapter 2, I'm sorry, that it said they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, Peter was in that group as well. Let's go to chapter 4 of Acts and verse 8. And I know we're, I know we're kind of jumping in the middle of something. Um, is it okay? Let, let, let's start in verse 1. Let's just start the section. Let's get our context. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. As they spake unto the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The religious leaders are ticked off. They laid hands on them. That's not in a good way either, by the way. They laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was even. That was now even time. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of men was about 5,000. It came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were as the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they were set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now that's setting it up. That's the context. Listen to the next verse. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, you rulers of people and the elders of Israel. Now obviously we'd have to think that that's another filling than we saw in chapter 2 of Acts. We could go to Stephen. In fact, let's do that. I, th- I think I've got to go to chapter 6, verse 5. I'm hoping I'm right. If I'm not, uh, let's try it. Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And say, Yeah, there it is. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. He was full of the Holy Ghost. Now turn over to chapter 7, all the way back in that one. That's where he was martyred. Verse 54. This has been an event now. I'm going to tell you what. Verse 54. When they heard these things, chapter 7, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, obviously, from the spiritual aspects, from the unfolding of big-time jobs, and I'm talking spiritual. Peter was about to do. What was Peter ready to do? He was going to preach to these religious leaders. This would be a tough thing. What do you want to be? I want to be full of the Holy Spirit, right? Stephen, I'm telling you, he's at the very end. They're stoning him. He's literally receiving the pelts of those stones, and he is seen as being full of the Holy Ghost, and he's literally seeing beyond that and seeing into heaven Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. It looks to me like being filled with the Holy Ghost is a good thing. And it is not a one and done. In fact, let's look at a passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And let's look at this. This is a command now. This is a command. You're never ever to pray for baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you are in fact requested to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, let's back up to verse 15, 16, 16. Let's do that. Verse 16, chapter 5 of Ephesians. Redeeming the time, like take advantage of it because the days are evil. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. We talked about, I think this might have been Thursday night, actually. Did we do the Bible study? Talk about filled with the Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We didn't, we didn't do a good job of that. 
we sort of did a good job, but we didn't do a good job. We, but, uh, we ended up on the right note, but there's a better way to get there. We used a glass, okay? Filling with, if we say fill, and it actually probably puts us in the context of that, we didn't even use Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 as our text. I don't even know where we went. Did we go somewhere else? It doesn't matter. But the point of the matter is, it says, do not be drunk with wine in excess, okay? But be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, just the connotation, just the analogy that Paul is using places us in the area of a cup, right? Makes sense. Because that's, that's how you get there. And so we said this. We're thinking, and you want to fill that baby as full as you can make it, right? Be filled with the Holy Ghost. But think of this now. If I fill, this is, this is pretty, it's full enough for me because I spill everything, okay? So it's full enough for me. So just imagine that that is completely full. Let's say there's another one beside it that's half full. We would still look at them and guess what? They are not going anywhere, are they? They're static, correct? Half full, full. They're not going anywhere. You could talk about filling it. I've used this example before here. You could take a gallon jar, and I could fill it with rocks, and I'd be full to the top and ask, is it full? And you say, yes, the first time, because I'd fool you. And you'd say, and then I said, no, it's really not. Then we would take smaller pebbles of gravel, and we'd pour those in, and we could put a lot more in. And when it's full, you would say, no, it's not full, because we know you've got another trick up your sleeve. Then we'd pour sand in it, right? And you'd say, is it full? No, it's not, because we must, you must have something else going on. And then we would pour water in it, we'd fill it up, and then I'd say, is it, and you'd say, yes, it's full. Okay? Even if you had it that full, there's something that is still missing because it's static. It's not moving. It's not moving. I want you to change the analogy. I want you to change the sense of diagram that's in your mind. Nothing wrong with having a full, to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's deeper than that. We came up that night of saying to be dominated are to be totally controlled by. So take a step back in the analogy. When you are drunk with wine, you are controlled by what? By the wine. The alcohol controls your mind. Okay? That's anyone that has been drunk, that's what happens. He says that's kind of the picture is to be controlled by, to be dominated by, but not alcohol, but with the Holy Spirit. But I want you to go to another level yet. The best analogy that I can think of. How many of you, I'm not, so you're going to have to help me here. How many have been on sailboats? Okay, this is really good. You're going to have to help me through this. Sort of. I've got a good friend that loves sailboats. He's owned one for a good period of his life. He just, it's just, it's in his blood. He loves it. It's a DNA thing, right? But now let me tell you something. What's the difference between our glass being full and a sailboat being full of wind? Which I love that. See, it was like a wind. It was like, that's exactly right. That, that, that it'll move the boat. That's what I want in your mind because the Holy Spirit, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, it moves you. Was that too loud? It's okay. That's being dominated. That's being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Literally, the Holy Spirit moves you when you're full, just like a sail on a sailboat. Do you see the difference? That's static. That's moving. 
That's the picture, literally, that the Holy Spirit should be in your mind as you are focusing to have it move you where God wants you to be. Now that is yielding. How is that done? How do you, how do you get the, that wind, if you will, the wind of the Spirit, which actually you go to John is at uh, chapter like 4 and verse 38 or somewhere in there. I'm sorry, I, I don't recall, but it, was, it says the wind listeth where it goes. Jesus was saying the words, and it's literally the same word for the Spirit, which is in the last word of that verse. I can't remember where it's at. I'm sorry, but it's the same John word. 38. Is that it? Three. That, that sounds right. Okay. Anyway, in that, it was three or four, somewhere in there. And it's amazing that that's the same picture. And doesn't it fit the sailboat thing perfectly? You can't see the wind. You don't know where it's going. But literally, you can see the boat going because the Holy Spirit is driving it. I hope I got your attention. Because <laughs> that's what he means by saying, be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the deal. Now, how do we do it? How do you fill the sails of your life? How do you fill the sails? You yield your will to his will. You know how you do that? Because that's sometimes not hard. We talked about this. I'll say it again. Uh, Obedience, right? We talked about that. If you love me, keep my commandments. So you have the obedience is determined by self-control. Self-control is determined by mind control. Mind control is developed by, are, are determined by knowledge. Knowledge is determined by truth. The truth literally is what takes you all the way to commanding or obedience. So where do we know what the real truth is? As we yield... To the Holy Ghost, we do it by literally unfolding the scriptures, filling our minds with the very truth that it says, Jesus says, I will guide you in all truth. He will guide you in all truth. Guess what? Your wind, I'm sorry, your sails are full. And guess where you go? Where God wants you to go. Because you not only want him to fill your sails, you want God to steer the ship. You want to go where he goes. Not a Jonah episode, right? Let's see now. I was supposed to go east, and I don't know if I'm right. It was one or the other. other. Which way was he? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It does not matter because I'm going to go west. How many times of your life, how many days of your life have you said, I'm going to go the wrong way because I don't want to go where he wants me to go? And you didn't say that. You just did it. You didn't say it out loud, right? And we've all done it to a certain degree. We've all done it. No, no, this is getting, this is yielding to the word, which then allows the spirit to show us internally. This is the internal aspect. This is why Satan cannot defeat a Christian because the word is inside. The Holy Spirit is inside internally warding off all of those things that Satan is trying to war on you from the outside. Again, the armor of God, which we don't have time to delve into today. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 18 talks about the exterior Items of defense that God gives us as well. But internally, that battle is not fought unless you let stuff into your mind from your ears, your touch, what you look at, what you taste. That's what internalizes it is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He has no right to your body. He has no right to your will. He has no right to your emotions. It's only you. It can allow that by yielding either to the Spirit or to the world. You're either conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, or you be conformed to the world, which is saying in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, but through the transforming of your mind, 
the renewing of your, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I'm sorry. That's really, literally, what being filled with the Holy Ghost is because it moves you in the journey of life. Oof, I am worn out. But it's so important. That's literally what happened at the Feast of Pentecost. And you know what? Just as it happened in the Feast of Pentecost. Now, we haven't, we'll, go, we'll go further in depth in this next week. We'll just start it here in the fact, one of the, the evidences, the evidences of this happening were literally if somebody popped into that room, they would have seen what would have been like a tongue of fire over every single one of those believers. That would signify that the Holy Spirit literally was in every one. But the sense, the evidence of them being filled with the Holy Ghost, two, I'm hoping you're getting that now. There's, there's two distinct differences. The fact and the evidence that they were filled with the Holy Ghost is that they began to speak in other languages. Known languages. In fact, it's named, we'll be looking further at this next week. It's not something that's unrecognizable. <clears throat> it is total, complete, without question, languages that are understood by those. Now, at this point, the crowd has gathered. If you've heard a hurricane, but you've not seen a hurricane, you're going to find out what was that like a hurricane. And here they come, and as they come from all over. Now, here's the other thing. This is very Jewish in nature. Very Jewish in nature. This is not the feast of the whatevers, the Gentiles. This is the feast of Pentecost, which is a Jewish ceremony. It's a Jewish celebration. They would have come not only from different regions, but there were a lot of people that were living in Jerusalem that had Gentile backgrounds. That's what makes this really, really significant. Every one of those that we've, we've named later in those verses, you know, Pergia and Pamphylia and rah, 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 and all of those, these guys, which, let, let's read it, because I'm going to make sure we get the right flavor. Let's go to verse, um, oh, I'm in Ephesians again. Acts. Wasn't the Feast of Pentecost one of the three required feasts that they had to be there? There were, there were three required feasts that all the Jews had I'm to not be there. I'm not absolutely certain, but it was very well attended. Because, it, oh, I forgot, there's something that's really important that I forgot to say. That sounds like my mother, right? <laughs> she was, and she'd wave her finger, right? Okay, so here we are. There's something I forgot to say. Mom, where are you, right? Okay, at any rate. So one of the things we said about 50 days was it was 50 days out, and it was, it was the first fruits of the wheat harvest. I said that, correct? But there's another thing that was there. It was this dual, I remember saying dual, and I didn't tell you the second part of it. But the other fork of that literally was the fact, after they were exiled and they came out of Egypt, guess what happened 50 days after that? They received the law, the Mosaic law. So actually, post-exilic, they would have literally celebrated at the Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost. That might have been a required one because of this. It's two-pronged. Is the fact that they also would have celebrated the giving of the Mosaic Law, which now, incidentally, is completely obliviated because Jesus Christ, even through the Feast of Pentecost, has passed on the Holy Ghost to every single believer. You have no need for it because it works from the inside. Now, that doesn't mean the law is not important. It's holy, as it says in Romans chapter 7, verse 12. But the point of the matter is it's completely fulfilled. Giving of the Holy Spirit in the church, is, that's, the, that's the, what shall I say, the consummation of what's been seen in the Old Testament. So they were actually celebrating that as well. I think it probably was a required one. I don't know which one. Passover was really big time. Yeah. But at any rate, the point of the matter, here they are. 
dually being in town. Now, there's people that are living in Judea. This, this is the verse. See, I cut off on that branch again, right? But we, we got a branch fixed, though. Let's go down to um, verse 12, chapter 2 of Acts. And they were all amazed and were in doubt. Now, they're hearing these languages, saying one to another, What meaneth this? What is going on? In fact, verse 8, that's another verse. How hear we every man in our own tongue, our own language, wherein we were born? There's people that are living in Jerusalem right now. They're living there. That literally they were born in any of those countries that we could read in those later verses. So now here's what never happened before. This is the significance. This, we'll talk more next week. I've got, I'm going to shut it down. I'm about wiped out. But there's something that's very, very significant here. There's a sign. You've heard of tongues as being a sign gift. What is the sign of Tongues. That's a question that everyone must answer. No matter at what level of manifestation you believe it's in, you must ask yourself, what is the sign or significance of this gift? I'll say it that way. These people that he speaks of in many places that they were born, but they're still Jews. They're back in Jerusalem right now. They are practicing Jews. One thing that never, ever happened, and it's Old Testament principle, they would have never heard about God, Yahweh, They would have never heard about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They would have heard about none of it in a foreign language. If they would have went to a synagogue in any one of those places, it would have been in Hebrew or Aramaic at the worst. You would have never heard it in the common Gentile language in which they found themselves living. Wouldn't happen. In fact, in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 28, you can write that one down. That's good study for the week. Isaiah 28, you go through it, it's a number of verses, and it talks about... A different language, a foreign language. And every time you see in the, in the Old Testament a foreign language, it's a language of judgment. Babylon, a foreign language. They're going to come in, they're going to, they're, they're going to capture you, they're going to whatever. Every time in the Old Testament you see a foreign language, you see a sense of judgment. Now, what is the significance of that? They literally, for the first time, have heard about the wonderful works, we've read it, the wonderful works of God through Jesus Christ in a Gentile language. Now, if you're a Jew, knowing all that you know about the Old Testament, that literally is a sign to a Jewish unbeliever because there's judgment within that. If you choose not to believe, now you even heard it in Gentile language. You have no excuses. Now, how long did this go on, this gift of languages, this gift of tongues? Well, we know that it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians. We find it all through the, the book of Corinthians. We find it, obviously, in Acts. Acts was taken place about, you know, shortly. At, well, obviously, this is just days after Jesus Christ would have ascended. So, days after that he was resurrected from the dead. So, apparently, let's just, let's just use 30 AD. Okay? That's when it started. This literally started this new era, this new dispensation. The beginning of the church. The possessing of the Holy Spirit permanently. That's a new concept. And it started then. Okay? If you go to 1 Corinthians, by the way, now this is, this is really significant. If you go past 1 Corinthians in the sense of dates of epistles that Paul wrote or anyone else, there is not one mention of languages or tongues. Now, when was the, first, when was the book in 1 Corinthians written? In about A.D. 55. So approximately this gift of tongues that we can find from Scripture is about 25 years. And you know what happened in 70 A.D., the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. The Jews were literally, they've been underfoot ever since. The times of the Gentiles have been superfluous to everything that they're doing. But for 25 years, guess what? Every time that a Jew heard in a Gentile language about the wonderful works of Jesus Christ, do you know what that felt like? That was a sign of God's judgment because you had not believed. 
That's the sign. It's not for believers. It's for unbelievers. Jewish by nature. Do you see how it all starts to make sense when you understand the context of what's taking place? Even Paul said, in fact, I think, let's do this quickly. I'm going further than I, yeah, quick. Ernie's <laughs> laughing. Ernie's laughing. You know what? I should laugh too. It's, it's funny when I say quickly. I, I get it. Let's go to, um, see if I can, there, there's one other verse we need to go to on the way through that couples with this. If you've got 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13 written down, you need to write this one beside it. Let's do this on the way through. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Let's do this. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. This, is, this couples perfectly with being baptized by the Holy Spirit, one body, one spirit, one time. Verse 9, chapter 8 of Romans. If you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Do you see the fact that if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit? If you don't have the Spirit, you're not in Christ. Okay? That, that verse needs to couple with it. Now, let's keep going. Um, where was my final? Where did I tell you we were going to go? Oh, here we go. I think. Man, I got stuff I didn't talk about, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I don't know why I didn't write. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we need to go. I'm, I think it's verse 21. Let's try, try that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and let's take a look. I'll find it when we get there. 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, and yeah, there, verse 21. Let's start there. In the law, it is written, with men of other, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet, for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. That's exactly what's taken place. That's exactly what's taken place. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. But if therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues or languages, which would be the proper word, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will he not say that you're mad? Isn't that true? I'm talking about real languages. I'm not talking about gibberish. I'm talking about real languages. What if somebody starts speaking in Russian and someone in Chinese and someone in, right? They'll think you're nuts. This was a sign literally. This is, this is, this is the key component. We just read in verse 21. You should, that's, that should be in your notes somewhere. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. That literally, the sign of the languages of the tongues is for the unbelieving Jew. He has heard it even now in a Gentile language and he still is rejecting it. Wow, that puts some things in perspective, doesn't it? Okay, I have to be honest. I am wiped out. I'm gonna. We're gonna stop. Is there any questions or comments? Because we're we're gonna we're gonna pick this up and follow through next week with maybe just a little more robustness, and then we're gonna see how he, how Peter launches off of this. And I mean, it's amazing, filling with the Holy Spirit. Particularly, is there any questions about being filled with the Spirit and baptism? That needs to be set very clearly in your minds, very clearly. And not that you have to ask it here, but. Feel free to text me or whatever. But I, that needs to be understood. Okay, did any, was it, was it, did it clarify some things? Okay, good. With that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your clarity. We thank you, Father, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. 
who baptizes us all into Christ if we've trusted him as Savior. Internally, there's no way that the enemy, Satan, can attack us. The inside is the Spirit's. Father, our job is to yield sanctify, that sanctification process day by day, moment by moment, minute by minute, literally yielding ourselves to the Spirit, using the Word of God, soaking in the Word for Him to dominate and to control us to the utmost level, moving us along just as wind in the sails of a ship are moved. And Father, You take the wheel. You take the helm. You take the row. The oars. Father, you direct our lives because you know right where we need to be. That's where we want to be. Father, there are many people here today that have got needs monetary needs, health needs, all kinds of needs, family needs. Father, you know them better than they do. I raise them up before you right now, silently, quietly. You know them. Put your arms of love around them. Let them know, even if it may be a while, the waiting time will make them stronger. It will make them more mature. Their faith will grow, and they will look more like Jesus Christ. And that's your will. That's your will. Father, we rest in your promises. We rest in you because the Lamb was slain. In Jesus' name.